Welcome to episode 139 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week we play Celeste. Let's get right into it. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host, Flora Eloise, and today I have three friends with me. My first friend, co-founder of the pod, he climbed the mountain just in time to take a break with us. His name is Michael Ruffalo. Thank you for joining the bot. I'm so excited to talk about a great game. Celeste is the mountain. And my next friend, despite the lack of guns, battled his way up to the snowy peaks with us. He dabbled his way. I'm not sure how far he got, but thank you for joining us as well. Momertati. It was a short hike, but uh, it was worthwhile. Hey. I'm glad to talk about it, guys. I'm glad to be here. Let's go. And my next friend is new to the pod. They are a Twitch streamer, someone deeply embedded in the speedrunning community for today's game, Court, also known as Frozen Flygon. Thank you for joining us, Court. Thanks for coming. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. First time doing something like this, so this is such an honor. Thank you so much for having me. We are so glad to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us and sharing your deep and infinite wisdom about this game that <laughs> we have all smashed our faces against. Absolutely. Awesome. So, Court, um, tell us a little bit about your gaming interest, your background. Um, how did you come to Celeste? And um, I believe you've played somewhere in the thousand-hour mark, somewhere in that thousand. Range. Yeah, uh, about over 1,500 hours in Celeste. Um, Speedrunning a game you love so much just means playing it a ton and a ton and over and over again. Uh, so I have, you know, I, I have such a passion for this game and for the community. It's, it's also, it's not just the game, but it's the people that have brought me coming back to this over and over again. But in terms of like my general, general gaming, um, I do stream on Twitch. I'm a Twitch partner and my content is both Celeste and Super Mario World. I'm really passionate about difficult platforming. And I also do a lot of charity work with speedrunning marathons. I care a lot about bringing people together in gaming to make the world a better place. That's awesome. So, so glad to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, that's wonderful. I first got exposed to, uh, to your speedrunning through GDQ, and I'm sure that's where many people probably would have. Um, I believe it was the Frame Fatales. You were doing some sort of, um, I believe it was the Chapter 9 run at the time. Um, I've also seen some more like custom maps and stuff like that. As yeah, well. I did. I, I did a run of farewell. That's what it was. Yes. Was awesome. So before, well, I don't want to get too far ahead, but farewell. I, I'm not sure if all of us have played that. Um, I assume we got to the credits to the top of the mountain, but we'll get there. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll find out in due time. In Who due got time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but before we get there, um, I think we're going to pivot over to something that we do with all of our new guests what is known as the gauntlet. Mike, you want to take it away? Thank you. Thank you so much, Flora. The gauntlet, for those of you who have not been here before and for, for Court's uh, information, is our fast and heavy question segment where we let, get to learn a little bit about our new hosts, our new guests, the people who are here to share their infinite knowledge and wisdom with us so that way you learn a little bit more about them. Um, I will get started. There will be six questions coming at you fast. Don't think too hard. Don't think too uh, too long. Just right from the gut, okay? So first one, what is your favorite game of all time? This is such a cop-out, but like it is Celeste. So I will give an honorable mention to Pokemon Emerald. Ooh. Okay, I mean, I feel like it would be 
feel like it would be hard if it was anything other than Celeste. And I know. Spent this much time. <laughs> so, okay. Um, maybe this is also obvious. What game have you spent the most time playing? Yeah, it's definitely going to be Celeste <laughs> as well. Um, but after that, it would probably be Hades. Ooh, it's the game that I think I've spent the most hours in. Yeah. How uh, are, Were you a Sega or a Nintendo kid? Nintendo. Okay. Mario or Luigi? Birdo. <laughs> this is, that's the, no, we're, we're in a binary here. You're picking the best Mario brother. Which one? I'm literally non-binary. I don't have to play by your rules. I got you. These are the rules of the game. I'm not talking about society and life. I love it. I love it. Damn it. Okay. Best Pokemon. Qui-Gon oh, then Glaceon, and they're both right here behind me. Okay. <laughs> you can't see them, but pretend. All right. Uh, last question. What is your earliest gaming memory? My earliest gaming memory is my dad bringing home a Game Boy Advance with a bunch of games on it and just giving it to me and my brother and us sitting in the hallway just playing GBA games until our parents had to take it away from us and put us to bed. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much for playing the gauntlet with us. Uh, I will turn the table back over to Flora to, to lead us from here. Yeah, thank you, Mike, and to thank you, Court. And today's game, as we mentioned, is Celeste. It's developed and published by Extremely OK Games. Um, it was published on Linux and Mac OS and uh, Microsoft Windows, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Google Stadia, which Google Stadia, recently in the news for potentially not being Google Stadia anymore, but that's an aside. Celeste came out on January 25th, 2018, and it has since received multiple patches, updates, and DLC of various varieties. Um, so before we really get into the game, properly speaking, we like to do a little segment here called the Fast Pitch, in which we pitch a one-sentence description of the game that we are here to talk about. Um, would anyone like to take a stab at summarizing Celeste in one sentence? I might Go take a crack. Um, I would say it's Super Meat Boy with no meat and no boy. That's, that's how good. I would do it. Yeah. That's good. You know, I think that's how I describe it to you too, Mo. Something similar. Yeah. You think you said, hey, Mo, it's like Super Meat Boy. And I'm like, I'm in. I am in. Jumpy Dashy Girl climbs the mountain and also conquers anxiety. Perfect. Yes, absolutely. Um, I have one prepared here. Um, Celeste is an ever escalating journey up a grueling mountain that challenges players both in terms of personal introspection and precise gameplay. And Ooh. Mike? Uh, the girl, a girl climbs a mountain in the game and you climb a mountain metaphorically. Mm. Awesome. So yeah, Celeste, one of the things that it does really well is it blends together its gameplay and its narrative. And, um, we'll kind of talk through how those things kind of complement each other throughout the main story. Um, but before we really get into the game, properly speaking, there is another segment known as the time capsule in which we think about the games that came out around the time period of Celeste's release, which again is January, 2018. And, I pulled a list of some of the games that were sort of notable, it caught my eye, things I heard about or my friends were playing, or even that I've dabbled in. Um, this is the same time period as Dragon Ball Fighter Z, um, or Fighters, I'm not sure. Are either of you, um, or actually all three of you, any fighting game players? I, I love fighting games, but that's not one that I've played, and it should be one because I love the Marvel vs. Capcom style Okay, that uh, that is clearly built in. Gotcha. Yeah, and I haven't played um, much fighting games at all. I'm mostly like way back PS2, and I've kind of like left yeah. that genre as I've gotten older. Gotcha. And Court, you shook your head. 
No fighting games. No, don't play much fighting I mean, games besides like sometimes punching people as Kirby. Not very good <laughs> in Smash Bros. Little pillow punches. Um, around the same time period, uh, Monster Hunter World, a uh, really massive Capcom game. Uh, the Shadow of the Colossus PS4 remake. Uh, Yakuza Ooh. Kiwami 2 made its way to um, English-speaking countries. And Life is Strange Before the Storm uh, Episode 3. So a very popular time for games. And more specifically, this is kind of on the tail end of that 2017 windfall of um, story-driven indies, art-driven indies, that sort of thing. Um, so... Uh, this game uh, is also extremely okay games, uh, formerly known as Maddie Mix Games. Um, they are also known for Towerfall. Has anyone here played Towerfall? I've not, but I've watched a bunch of YouTube videos on it. So it's okay. a very weird thing that like, I feel like I understand what Towerfall is, uh, despite never having touched it. And Court? I love Towerfall. I played Towerfall after Celeste because like, you know, I wanted to go back and play other things that Maddie and the team had done. Mm-hmm. And it the new version of it has a co-op so me and my partner actually played it together and that was so much fun because it's a party game where you know where you're archers and you fight each other but we had so much more fun playing it co-op together and going through all the boss battles and i i highly recommend it it has great controls you can totally tell the team that made celeste made it okay there's like movement tech that's similar Mm -hmm. honestly it's really cool i highly recommend it. it's really fun nice and Mo, how about you? No, I haven't. I haven't even heard of it. Um, I don't really keep up to date with all like the uh, indie titles or small like uh, platform titles in general. Um, so this one's completely don't even know existed and don't even have like a picture to associate to it. You're a you're a Call of Duty and Far Cry guy. Yeah, it has to go fast. I have to win a championship or I have to shoot something. No, that's, that's pretty much. <laughs> you want to climb a tower and and unlock parts of the map. Well, yeah. you can't shoot things. It's an archery game. Yeah. So there, there, there's some connection. 30% in there. There it is. Oh. Oh. One year is burnt. <laughs> He's almost sold. He's almost sold. Flora, what about you? Had you played uh, Towerfall? I have not. No, um, I've been eyeing it. And I believe there's like kind of a definitive edition out there, Towerfall Ascension. I'm not sure how much like additional content that is from the initial release, but um, it looks tempting. And, and I was kind of worried that it wouldn't be similar to Celeste, but uh court recommendation, I think, there with the movement tech and whatnot is... Uh, Enough to kind of pique my interest. I, I have it in my wish list on Steam, but you know how that can go. Just the infinite wish list. <laughs> um, and they're also working on a new game, the same developers, uh, Earthblade, which I haven't really seen much about, but there's like a little promo track, some sort of concept art images. It looks really, really cool, but um, I'm not really sure what that game's going to be. And um, how do you follow up something like Celeste, really? Mm-hmm. But no pressure. They're being very secretive about Earthblade. They specifically have only done a vibe reveal. So you can Ooh, yeah. you can see the vibes. Interesting. And the vibes are excellent, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Well, yeah, you know, based on what you said, Flora, how do you follow up a game like this? This game got a lot of perfect reviews. Yeah. I think IGN gave it a perfect 10. A bunch of other places gave it perfect scores. I remember when this game came out, it had a huge amount of buzz, a huge amount of uh, accolades being mm-hmm. thrown at it. And, you know, mentally, I was like, I will play this one day. That day is not today. Yeah. Yeah, it's a game that I picked up in the same year of release, which this is kind of coming off of the back end of like when I was in grad school and I wasn't really playing a lot of video games. And so the fact that the word of mouth broke through that sort of like stream into casual conversation made me really, really interested. And um, I, I mean, like, yeah, the reviews were absolutely stellar. And and it's strange. The, the game didn't immediately uh, work for me. But at this point, it's become one of my favorites. And um, I look at those perfect reviews and I think that's totally earned. Um, what were the reviewers saying at the time? Yeah, I pulled a few here. Um, GameSpot gave it a 90 at the time. Uh, this came out on the release day, 2018. Uh, and the writer said, it's a testament to convincing writing and 
ingenious design that after playing Celeste, I felt like I'd been on the same journey as Madeline. Her struggle is one made easy to empathize with, her low points painful to watch, and her high notes exhilarating to experience. Her tale is delicately told and beautifully illustrated, confidently coalescing with the satisfying, empowering game it lies within. Not bad for a game about climbing up a mountain. And um, PC World gave it a perfect 100 uh, about two weeks after release. They write, Celeste's optimism is refreshing, especially since it comes from within. It's a call and response, a game that says, keep going and waits for your next button press as confirmation. I will. You're learning. And with every death, every obstacle stumbled against and overcome, you say, I am. It's a marriage of theme and mechanics so pure, so confident, and one hell of a platformer, too. Um, I pulled a few others, but I think those kind of sum up the tone, really glowing. I mean, just people love the story, the art, the encouragement, the themes. And um, I think all those really kind of speak through in my experience. Yeah, one of the things that really strikes me from those reviews are how much they mention the marriage of the gameplay mm-hmm. and what the game's trying to, to, you know, move forward or say. Um, and yeah, to me, I think that's one of the beautiful things. There's, there's very, uh, it's, it's kind of like poetry in a way. The gameplay matches up very clearly with what the story is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're just about to kind of start talking about the basic setup of the game and everything. But before we do, I want to know how we actually played the game. Um, Court, let's start with you. What was your first experience playing Celeste? Uh, what system did you play it on? What time period did you play it on, etc.? How did you get exposed to Celeste? Sure. Uh, I actually first saw it from the speedrunning perspective. I was watching a speedrunner, TGH, who was speedrunning Celeste. Cool. I had not heard of the game before, actually. It was like a year after release. I didn't pick this up on release or anything nice. like that. I had never speedrun anything in my life. It was actually my introduction to the speedrunning world. And I picked up the game casually. I played it on Switch. Uh, Me and my partner went back and forth on the Switch, um, playing through it. And then my brother challenged me to a race. And I I then bought it on my PC, Mm -hmm. started learning the game on keyboard, and we raced each other back and forth. And then I still have not stopped speedrunning it for the past, like, two two years now. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, how about you? Uh, So I played this on PC with a controller. And I had not played Celeste previously. Actually, that's a lie. I think about a year ago, I might have loaded it up and played like, tried to play the first couple uh, stages and was like, oh, this is a hard game. No, thank you. (laughs) That's not what I need right now. I don't need a hard game to make me feel good about climbing a mountain. I need a soft game to make me feel good uh, and and relaxed. Um, And aside from that, uh, you know, I like games in the genre i like challenging puzzle platformers mm-hmm. um i like games that reward you for going outside of your comfort zone and learning new techniques and um and all of that um but yeah had not played this did not realize how much this game was like those and mo um i i played it on the switch um i and we've played previous games on this podcast and i've played them on the switch this is the first one where I think I'm going to be moving to like a full screen or using like the pro controller because the I'm, I'm I'm having a little bit of issues with the mechanics, but maybe I'll get into that later on. But yeah, that's how I'm playing it. Yeah, gotcha. Um, that's definitely something I first played it full screen on my monitor with my Switch docked, and uh, I definitely would recommend the pro controller. Um, I know a lot of people who play this game more seriously use like a D-pad or, as Court was saying, like keyboard 
um, the precision of specific movement and that mm-hmm. sort of thing is really important. Um, I played all the way to completion with just the analog stick, though. I don't know how I did it in retrospect because having replayed it, um, I, I've determined that that is absolutely the wrong way to play. But um, oh, wow. I first played okay. on Switch, then played on PC, and um, I have yet to really get comfortable with keyboard. Um, but on my work laptop, I've started kind of dabbling because I have the game on that as well. And um, I'm slowly getting decent with keyboard. So. Oh, okay. That like actually like sparks up a question now. So for me, full disclosure, I haven't completed Celeste. I'm actually currently actively like enjoying it and want to kind of slip into the pod <laughs> and get everyone's kind of perspective on it uh, and see yeah. see if it's something worth pursuing. So I just picked that up. Is that something that I guess is standard? You should be doing like a D-pad or mechanical navigation method, I guess? I recommend the D-pad not. or keyboard, yeah. <laughs> It, it, it can get really frustrating to misdirect on the analog stick. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 much more common if you're playing the game a lot or playing it more. They recommend trying to switch to D-pad or, okay. or keyboard. Yeah. Good to know. One of the things that I that I realized in my playthrough was that as I was using the analog stick, I probably had hundreds of deaths yeah. that I could have avoided had I been Precise, switching eh? to the D-pad instead. Uh, but I was using one of the uh, one of the classic Xbox controllers that has a really bad D-pad, um, so I didn't want to do that either. And you know, brain was not big enough to move over to to mouse and keyboard. Uh, but uh, who knows? Maybe in the future I'll try that. Yeah, definitely the analog stick. Like I know that there is some specific movement with um, feathers and some other sort of techniques where analog stick is apparently like preferred. But um, you know that that movement tech is so beyond me. I, I definitely think that the analog stick was the source of hundreds of my deaths as well. Um, so um, as far as the game goes, I think that one of the things that stands out about Celeste is its mechanics. It's kind of known for being incredibly precise and forgiving as a game. And Court, I was hoping you could maybe tell us a little bit about the movement tech and some of the platforming functions and just kind of how this game operates. Absolutely. I think the thesis of this game, why it feels so good to play, is like. It's a difficult game that anyone can beat. It's 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 really you don't need a basic understanding of any other platform. This could be your first platformer game, but the game wants you to win. Preach. It's it's a part of both the story and the mechanics. They teach you everything you need to know. Like the levels unfold by teaching you things step by step and as long as you have patience with yourself and you also kind of internalize the message of that there is on one of the postcards. Be proud of your death count. That means you're learning. Mm-hmm. That's if you really take that message to heart, the game rewards you for it. Amen. And it's it, it's amazing. I'm so with you. That was that was the best. That I totally totally aligned. Like this game is all about. It, it reminds me of a Souls game, in that the difficulty is part of the design, and it is intended to make you better at the game and not make itself easier. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to get there. And because you've developed that mastery and that, that actual skill has developed, when you get to the top, you're one, I think more amazed at the very fact that you're able to do some of these incredible levels, but two, it just, it feels more rewarding that, you know, the game didn't give you some cheat code or like some mushroom that, or star that allows you to go through with, without being harmed. Absolutely. And you should play city again after having beaten the summit and you'll be like, Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I just beat that in like 10 minutes. Yeah. I, You can see your progress. And that's what makes it so addicting as a speed game is you're like, oh my gosh, I can just play the level again and cut my time in like half. That's amazing. Okay, I'm going to do that again. I'm going to do that again. And then you just can't stop. <laughs> or at least you can't stop. <laughs> I can't. A, lot of, a lot of us can't. <laughs> 
Mo, have you gotten to that point yet? Uh, or are you still? No. So one thing I really loved about it is like, so I'm not, I'm only a couple hours in and I haven't gotten any like crazy uh, levels or anything like that, or I'm not even sure if there is any crazy advanced levels. But what I love is how snapshot every little checkpoint is and every like opportunity is where it becomes just like a day-to-day task. If you do a little bit at a time, try a little section at a time, you eventually climb the mountain. And in this, in this game so far, it's been like, everything's been slightly challenging, but it's not that much more challenging than the next step. So to totally get the same sense, just with a little bit that I played. Yeah. That's definitely something that kept me going with the game as well, because like I don't really have a lot of patience with difficulty in games. And even though this game has a ton of accessibility options and a lot of just kind of little encouraging gestures along the way, um, I think I would have in a different mindset given up on this game with its difficulty, if not for not only the rapid checkpoints, but that sort of instant respawn that happens as well. Because when you die in this game, you typically die a lot early on. Um, <laughs> at least, I mean, I literally died thousands of times my very first attempt. And, um, and that instant respawn is just like there's a flash on the screen and you're back where you started and it doesn't ever feel like you're sit on the naughty step and like on a timeout and like punished in the way that sometimes in, in games, like you mentioned the Souls comparison, um, I, I really, I dread that run all the way back through to where I was facing the difficulty. Celeste really knows how to keep you um, practicing the thing that you need to learn. So, so I, I think that there is an equivalent to the run back to your body in the Souls game in Celeste. Um, but I would say before, before I like walk through that i think this game is so much like super meat boy in that it gets you right back in immediately like it doesn't you don't feel punished yeah and it does not feel unfair like at no point do you ever really scream at the game and say what what you did was unfair the rules as they were laid out to me previously um are not being upheld everything is the same right like you're you're not being challenged by the fact that the game's doing something that you don't think is right you're being challenged to mechanically execute the thing that your brain wants to do yeah totally uh, but your hands are not yet able to and uh you know before i get to that i just do want to say like the run back to your body in the souls game is the equivalent of getting really far in the frame in celeste but not being able to get to that final that final like ledge and when you drop it's like oh man okay well i gotta go right back to the beginning but you've done it so many times that it's so easy to get there and that is what a souls game is 100 game it you end up getting past those early skeletons or whatever they are really easy because you're so used to running past them to get to your body again it's it's that same oh this isn't actually that difficult because i've developed the skill because i've been facing this multiple times and i've continually pushed outside of my comfort zone to the point that those things that were previously outside of my comfort zone are now squarely within it. yeah totally yeah i know that but i think you've described you've described what makes this game so encouraging to keep going because it's like okay i've conquered this tough screen and then the game's gonna be like, all right, I'm gonna nudge you a bit farther now. And you got it, and it's like, okay. And you struggle a bit on that, but then you get better. And the game's like, okay, here's another surprise for you. Here's another surprise for you. And it's so, and then there's, you know, there's the optional challenges that we haven't necessarily talked about yet. Of I, I don't know how far you, you all got of like, I'm gonna search for the collectibles. You know, here are the berries. I can look at that berry screen and be like, okay, I can do that. Or you look at it and you're like, no, not today. I'm, <laughs> I'm coming back later. <laughs> and I love that. And the, you know, the game is very much like 
okay, here are where all of the collectibles are, mm-hmm. pretty much. You know, you can, Good luck. when you jump back into a level, it's like, here's the cassette. Mm-hmm. Here are where, how many berries are in this section. And it encourages you to explore, but also doesn't punish you if you're like, I really can't get this berry. The game's like, they're just, they're just for fun. That's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, do it if you want to. Don't do it if you don't want to. I, I do have to say, I do feel like there were moments where I felt like I was being punished for exploring only in that I wanted to get all the berries and I wanted to get them all in my run, but it was not always clear which path was going to be leading down the linear path to the next stage or the next Mm -hmm. screen. And so I was often like trying to put one foot in and keep making progress without making too much progress that I couldn't go back and get all of the berries that I wanted to. And Mm -hmm. there were, you know, there were a bunch of, there were a bunch of berries I missed because it wasn't clear that the path that i was going down was was gonna like, keep oh me i'm accidentally the going the right way exactly. no curse you game i don't want to go the right way i totally I, understand i that. intentionally picked the path that i thought was not the correct yeah, one, yeah so i could get some berries that happened to be a few times um i decided kind of early on that i wouldn't be pursuing the berries uh much just because like they, there's just a difficulty curve to them that was a little off-putting to me but they're so optional that i didn't feel like I was really missing out on much, but um, the actual navigation of the game, I, I, one of the things I most recently did is went back and collected the uh, crystal hearts in the game, which are kind of typically hidden off screen and like just in places that I never would have thought to even look, to be honest. And um, so I followed a little guide and I collected them all. And along the way, I kept accidentally advancing too far for one or two of them and I had to restart. But the game has some really nice like sub chapter checkpoints that you can load in at various points throughout the level instead of having to from the very beginning of the chapter, start over. Um, I found that really quite quite encouraging because at some point I would like to go back and collect the the strawberries. I know that there are a few achievements attached to it and stuff like that, but in due time. Mo, have you been collecting berries so far? Okay, I love the berries. Here's why: because when I first yes. start, when I first started, I was kind of like, "Oh, I can maybe get that." Oh, I got it. Okay, cool. Next level. Oh, I can get that. And then I got to one where I was like. That's a little far, and I know I'm probably going to need to use these berries to buy some special weapon or something like that. And then I get to the stage where it's like, oh, yeah, these are optional. Do it if you want. I'm like, nice, because I was actively just doing them just to like passively collect a resource. And the fact that they're not going to be used for anything, I'm like, okay, good. I don't feel bad about missing that insanely hard to get one. So I like the berries just like the fact that they're hard and they're like an additional difficulty, especially if you're feeling feeling it and I just like Court said, there's sometimes when you're just like, leave this away from me. I'm fine. Like, I'm glad I don't have to get this. I, I, I think the berries are crucial. And I mean, Court, you probably have a much more nuanced view on this than, than I do. But I think that the berries were crucial in me developing a love for this game because I appreciated the extra challenge. Hmm. But in addition to that, it felt like every time I went for a berry, it built my confidence hmm. and it forced me to develop a mastery with techniques or concepts that the game was going to force me to use later. But if I had not gone for the berries, I wasn't going to be as ready for it when those showed up. So I felt way more prepared when those tough challenges showed up because I was continually pushing outside of my comfort zone to get each of those berries. Yeah. It's, it's literally like to bring it to like a sports reference. It's like doing the extra reps or like the extra free throws after a game or whatever, getting better for that next challenge. And you don't have to do that, but if you want that next challenge to be maybe a little bit be easier, the very best. exactly. It's the Mamba mentality. That's what it's teaching you. Yeah. Celeste is teaching us. That's a great analogy. Strategy. That's so true. Yeah. Celeste is Mamba. I get it. <laughs> are you the same animal 
Yeah, this game really is about the main character, Madeline, trying to get better, like just like personally and in terms of the challenge that she's setting for herself, because we haven't really uh, touched on the story of the game much so far. But um, this story of the game really features like an internal battle and an external battle being re uh, represented at the exact same time. And um, I, I guess, uh, Mike, I'm going to hand this off to you or and then we can maybe hear from Mike or sorry, Mo as well. Um, you can hear from me as much as you want. Yeah, I can hear from you <laughs> twice. But um, you've both played it very recently, and I've kind of marinated on the story. I imagine Court has marinated on the story and probably skips past most of it at this point, to be honest. <laughs> um, and I just wonder, like, first impressions, like, how do you feel the game is set up? How do you think it sets the tone with its narrative? And um, how did you feel just going in the first chapter or two? Yeah, I, I was surprised how much story there was in this game. Quite frankly, I thought it was just going to be a puzzle platformer with about as much story as Super Meat Boy, which was, you know, Super Meat Boy's story is largely inconsequential, right? Um, whereas the, the story and the, I guess, the, the narrative of Celeste is like deeply tied into that gameplay. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it just, it makes a lot of sense. Um, early on, I was not 100% sure what, what the game was. But the the game Celeste does not hide itself from you at all. It's hmm. it's not um, it's not playing coy. Like Celeste is the mountain, both literally in the game, and Celeste being the mountain in your life trying to play it. Um, and it uh, yeah, it does a fantastic job in in my experience, at least initially, like setting up these stakes. And I, I can't say I was especially tied to Madeline um, or. Or any of this other than I love seeing a journey of someone pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone, yeah. trying to accomplish something for the sake of accomplishing it and building that self-confidence, self, self um, which I think ultimately we, we see at the end of the, at the end, spoilers. And Mo, what were your first impressions going in? Um, I, so... <laughs> I, I, a little bit of a quick background with me. I'm not a huge fan of platformers. I've, I've kind of even spoken uh, behind the scenes and said, I'm not going to play another platformer ever again. And I think Mike kind of just twisted my arm just enough to, to try this out. And boy, was he right. Um, I, I thought the initial like entrance to the game, one of the things with 2D platformers, there's a general sense of it's going to be very flat, two-dimensional, uh, Mario, hey, like jumping around, nothing too complex. But this thing has like a depth and a feel to it, especially with like, the parallax snow coming in from the foreground to the background. Um, there's a certain uh, part in the beginning when you're talking to the old lady and the animation in the bubble box, the blinks go down at two separate times to kind of add that little bit of character to show this person's not all there or whatever it might be, just like in like anime <laughs> shows. But it's small little like attention to detail moments that add so much depth to it that I haven't experienced the full story, but I'm willing to listen to the story now just because of the little bits I've played. And I think that's kind of so far what I have from the story, which I haven't fully consumed, but I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, I'm surprised neither one of you, our resident Canadians, uh, mentioned the mountain or Mount Celeste being ostensibly located somewhere up in the ether uh, in your home countries there. Any word somewhere, on that? Somewhere, somewhere up here. Who knows, who knows <laughs> where? Probably near Vancouver, probably in BC somewhere. Uh, Mo just escaped it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I climbed it. No, I didn't. I did not. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> and Court, you mentioned you um, first played this with your uh, partner, just probably trading the controller back and forth. Like, were you absorbed yeah. in the story when you first played it? Do you have any, like, first memories of kind of how this story begins? 
it's really funny because I, I had seen the entire game, right? Because I had watched speedruns of it. But as anyone who's watched a speedrun knows, you're not experiencing the game because, you know, top level speedruns. How, how long did the playthrough so far take you all, by the way, before I say how fast the speedrun is? I think I clocked in at around seven hours. Uh, my first playthrough was like 11 hours, but I was also talking to Twitch chat at the time. So like I was probably distracted, but at least 10. Yeah. And you've gotten like a few, Mo's gotten like a few yeah, hours exactly. into it. My first play was about like 13 okay. hours. Um, I can beat the game in 32 minutes. Oh, holy cow. <laughs> oh, man. So you're not, yeah, no, you're skipping all the cutscenes. You're skipping everything. Mm-hmm. So I had seen the game played very quickly. I had not wow. seen anything, any of the side, anything. So when I played this game, I, I also didn't understand that the story was going to be anything like mm-hmm. that. I was like, it was seeing the game from a whole nother perspective and getting to meet, you know, the inner demon of Badalyn and her talking, you know, you talking to yourself, like how people talk to yourself, like being hard on yourself and not giving yourself the same kindness you give other people and going through the chapters. And then, you know, when I played chapter six, Reflection, the boss fight for the first time, that was one of the most powerful moments in gaming for me because I... First of all, a boss fight in a platformer (laughs) playing, it was just amazing. It was electric. But then her talking to you during it and Madeline fighting back saying, I'm not going to let you talk to me like that anymore. It's really empowering. And and that was something I I, I still cling to, you know, is I shouldn't let myself talk to me. So I shouldn't let my Madeline get in my head like that. And, you know, it's it's stuck with me ever since. I recently did a play where I watched all the dialogue again. It had been years since I had gone through every single cutscene, mm-hmm. and I, I like started tearing up wow. again. I was like, wow, this is beautiful. This is like such a, and the gameplay feeds into the story, which feeds into the gameplay. It's art. Yeah, when I when I first played it, it didn't actually make me like it didn't provoke an emotional response in me for some reason. I think I got way too uptight on the gameplay and I was forcing myself through it. Um, I wasn't taking breaks like I probably should have. And I got overly frustrated with the game. And for whatever reason, I just, I became impatient with the story as well. It took, it took quite a while for me to like get into it. But a moment I distinctly remember kind of taking me off guard and making me think, okay, maybe there is something here uh, uh, was the moment where Madeline and uh, one of her adventurer friends, Theo, they kind of pair up on this mountain climb together. Um, There's a moment of, I I guess I would describe it as a panic attack um, up on a sort of cable car. And um, in this moment, um, like the visuals and the music and everything kind of contributes to this feeling of overwhelm and this this beautiful pixel art, it becomes hostile and uh, everything sort of disappears and it's replaced by just sort of like a really dark background with a feather that you have to kind of keep within a box. And it simulates sort of like the awareness of, of breathing and, and becoming aware of one's breath when one is having too much anxiety, too much overwhelm. And um just Almost represent- like it's helpful playing the game. Yeah, well, it represented how I was feeling in a way that I wasn't anticipating from the game whatsoever. And um, I think from that moment on onward, everything clicked for me. Um, how was yeah. that moment for, for you, Mike? I, I, I love that moment um, because, yeah, I, it was just one of it was one of those things like I don't know if everyone's experienced, you know, anxiety or I don't know if everyone's experienced someone in their life having a panic attack, but seeing it and, and understanding how to work through it, it was, it was, a, I think a great way to showcase it, how, you know, at some level you just need to push everything else out of your mind and clear it and focus on one, one single thing, focus on your breath. Um, so I thought it was really powerful 
in the in the game. I thought it was a powerful lesson to give the player who is playing at that period of time when they're facing challenges that are really frustrating because this game is filled with them. There were so many times where I yelled at this game, oh my God, this game is so good and I hate it right now <laughs> because it's just so frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. And like what you said earlier about like the game is not subtle about it. Mm -hmm. Like it's like Madeline is like, I experience this, you know, frequently. And she's trying to push Theo away and be like, you know, leave me. I, I'm going to be fine. And he doesn't give up on her and instead is like, this is a teachable moment. Maybe I can I can talk you through this. And I'm sure there's a ton of people playing it who are like, wow, that actually like that could be something I can use in my life now to calm myself down because I've never thought of it that way. And, you know, I know tons of people who have like, you know, feather tattoos and like that, that symbolism connected with so many people, especially like, you know, there's people who are like, I've genuinely not seen someone had a panic attack. This is my first time seeing that. And now I know. And it's like, wow, I can connect with people. And that's what I love about this game. Mm -hmm. Like being so upfront about, you know, mental illness and about those struggles is like people are learning empathy by playing a video game like this. Yeah. And that's beautiful. <laughs> that's so totally, cool. Totally. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was just kind of like mental health representation in gaming. I think this is a good time to sort of reflect on that because Celeste is one of the very first games that I played where I sort of noticed that intersection of the storytelling focus on those concepts, whether that's the framing of depression or anxiety or um, there's, there's a number of other interpretations and meanings in this game. And I was just wondering, like, it, for me, this was the first game that kind of openly dealt with those issues. Um, were there any other games that you all have played before Celeste or since that um, have something similar to say or kind of speak in the way, like through their interactivity or other sort of storytelling elements? The composer of this game, Lena mm -hmm. Rain, uh, she did music for a game called Chicory, which yes. is another amazing independent game. game. Uh, I, I love indie games. I'm always going to talk about indie games. Chicory is a story about, um, you know, imposter syndrome and art. Mm -hmm. And you literally paint during the game and make art. And it has, this, you know, its story is about, again, kind of overcoming, you know, your own personal struggles and feeling that you have to be perfection for people mm -hmm. and she did the she did the soundtrack for that and it's also absolutely fantastic but has a very similar like it was one of the games that was like wow this made me feel like celeste made me feel this made me feel like how undertale made me feel yeah it was the, those kind of games and so i absolutely like chicory is another one of those games that hit that kind of same chord for me yeah chicory was really great mo my for me it's like my cop out for most questions i get asked but what remains of edith finch was one of like the greatest like video game experiences i had and in terms of like meshing together music, sound, feel, the the UI, the gameplay itself is attached to it. I think that that game itself is a great example of like a, d a developer putting everything together to make you have an amazing experience. It's not just one thing that's great; it's the whole package. I think it was like, I think it was around 2013, somewhere in there, that Depression Quest came out, and I felt like that was one of the moments that. I don't know. Gaming just became more willing to talk about mental health and internal battles as well as external battles. Um, and I think, you know, there, there are obviously some sloppy things along the way. Um, but one of the, one of the games that I think is about mental health or I think touches on it, not explicitly is flower flower mm. just has this feeling of, you know, it's a world without color. Yeah. You fly through it and add more color to it. There's, there's, it, it just 
it, it made me very mindful of mental health. And uh, in the same way that, you know, the flower in Celeste is kind of about breathing, that's kind of what I felt about flower as well. Yeah, I didn't even think about flower. I mean, I always think about like the environmentalism allegory going on in that story. But absolutely, it has those multiple meanings. Like, I think of some some others, um, like even a game like Florence, which isn't like directly about mental health. I think it deals with that or like Greece, which um, even though I was going to mention Greece. Yeah, it, I, that, that was another one that came right to me. Yeah, I played that a little bit after Celeste, but it still hit me in a very similar way. I mean, it's it's kind of like something about nonverbal storytelling in video games, I think is really effective for these sorts of like more symbolic, larger conversations about those things that are kind of hard to like describe with language um, about the human experience. But um, Celeste has got to be my favorite of those representations. I would love to break down this game and and talk about like what all the symbolism is yeah. and you know what it's trying to say. I think we need to get into some of the characters before we, before we do that. So there's, there's what four main characters aside from Celeste the mountain that we uh, <laughs> that we that we face um, along this journey, and we've talked a bit about Theo. We've talked about um, the part of you, Battleline, um, and I think the only other one that we need to mention is Mister Oshiro, who is the proprietor of a hotel that has long since been shuttered. Um, gave me vibes of The Shining uh, because when, <laughs> when he comes through, he comes through a wall and materializes and Madeline is not even phased by it. He has no feet. He, they don't touch the ground. He just, he floats everywhere and no one says anything about it. <laughs> it really threw me for a loop. I was like, what do you, how, how can I be the only, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mr. And we have Granny too, but oh, Granny, Granny is much more impactful in Farewell. Mm. Um, that that really hits the like the Farewell chapter of the game, which I I, I won't spoil because you should definitely play it for yourself if you have the determination to do so. It it like touches on another a whole another aspect of mental health stuff. It's it's like. It's it's like Celeste too. It's 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 another campaign. It took me another fifteen hours to wow. be just Holy. farewell, and yeah, and and I had been speedrunning the game for a year at this point. Wow. Uh, and there's a whole another chapter with Granny as well. So she's like really really impactful in that post game. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much more story still. It's it's amazing. I have so much more to play then. Yes. Yeah, I I'm just curious. Can you maybe hint at what sort of themes Granny is involved in? Because like. We should probably set the stage like at the very beginning, Granny sort of like doubts you and taunts you. And along the way, there's sort of a coming to terms with that character. And by the end of the story, I, f I feel like things have kind of been reconciled. Um, I'm not sure what else there is to explore. Are you are you able to tease that without actually spoiling or or should we just? Experience it, yeah. It? So in general, what they go through is is talking about grief. And, and, and so it's. You know, I don't want to get too much yeah. into like who, you know, who is lost or what's going on with that. But it's Farewell's, you know, a journey that, that Madeline and Granny and Badeline also go through, you know, overcoming grief. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very beautiful. I definitely plan to play it, but I haven't even gotten through the core yet, which is um, that's its own challenge after the core game. is spicy. <laughs> um, I, I want to touch back on Mr. Oshiro. I think that his character is, it situates itself at a really interesting point in the story because like the game starts off by sort of teaching him the mechanics, but by the time you get to his character, you're sort of like working your way through a series of doors and little chambers, and it's a bit of a maze, and it's almost like a hoarder's sort of um, hellacious house where everything is overflowing with too much stuff. Um, you sort start to look inward, and at this point, um, 
I'm not sure. Is the Mr. Oshiro section before or after the first chase with Badalyn? After. After, okay. So you've also, like, really come to terms with this awful inner part of you, or at least so it seems at the time. And um, and the Mr. Oshiro section culminates, uh, we mentioned earlier, these sorts of uh, boss fights. Like, there's this, like, escape sequence where um, he becomes this big, like, balloon head and follows you. He becomes a boo. To- yeah, exactly. I think it really is evocative <laughs> of that. And um, he's got, like, these gnarly jaws, and he shoots, like, lightning at you. I don't even know how to describe what goes on, but that sequence can take a really long time. We mentioned how quickly the game gives you respawns, but that section really... Oh, my god, That tested Yeah. <laughs> and Mr. Oshiro is just desperate to have someone stay at the hotel. And he is very pushy about you staying in the presidential suite, <laughs> and the entire... Uh, the entire quest is helping him clean up the hotel and getting to the presidential suite and then saying, hey, uh, okay, cool. I, You've said this all along. I have no intention to stay here. But when she says, uh, look, I great, uh, I need to leave. <laughs> you know, I have no intention to stay. He takes that boundary as, uh, as an issue uh, and then chases you out. Um, and to me, Mr. Oshiro is like a perfect example because Theo warns you ahead of time. Don't, don't bother messing with him. Yeah. Right. Like he's gonna, he's gonna cause you problems. Mr. Oshiro is a perfect example of, um, you know, other people's mental health, uh, you know, dragging you down and causing problems in your own life and being willing to set those boundaries about what level, you know, everybody has some type of issue with mental health or something that they're working through, um, but that you do need to create those boundaries and create that space so that way it doesn't drag you down um, with them. Yeah, I, th- I think this game wants to say something of that effect with all of its main characters. Like even Theo, who's presented as sort of an upbeat character throughout most of your interactions, at least initially, um, he's kind of documenting everything on a like an Instagram clone. I forget what they call it, like Instapix or something of that Instapix, effect. Instapix, yeah. And um, and. There's there's this whole getting to know you with that character, and he sort of seems a little derpy and spaced out, but then you realize, like, there's some insecurity going on, and there's just some other issues that, like, when, once you start to dig into each of these characters, you realize that they're more complicated and more human than uh, a simple video game archetype, which is something I really enjoyed. Absolutely. And you can actually check out Theo's Instagram uh, they it's uh, Theo Understars. Oh, wow. yeah. It gives and, you the username. Yeah, you can see it's art by the art directors of the That's game cool. and you could actually like poke around and That's look at the amazing. instagram and when farewell came out they've you know put a new post up for farewell That's and awesome. uh they don't they don't update it anymore but it's really cute yeah. highly re- recommend looking at it because the the art you know by pedro and amora is just absolutely fantastic yeah. so it's really cute that like they actually you know made a little instagram for him and it's them hanging out it's theo and madeline hanging out as soon as we get off this call i'm going to check that out yeah yes. i'm looking at it now it's we should cool. put that in the show right. notes yeah, it's awesome. The, now that I, think I love about the it, art style of this game, like uh, I the love art is just so beautiful. Art. I love both the pixel art and I love the hand drawn art that you see at certain <gasps> moments throughout. Yes, Flora's holding oh, up that's uh, a piece of art from the game. Yes, um, Court mentions Amora, and I went ahead and got a piece uh, from their store uh, framed over here on my little table. It's just off webcam normally, but. Um, it's one of the very rare pieces of video game art that I have decided to kind of keep around. Um, it's just, yeah, really, really special. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I loved hitting those screens as soon as you clear uh, a segment or a, or, or a level, whatever you want to... I'm sure there's an actual name for it, Court. 
uh, just chapters. Chapter. Chapters. Yes. I got you. <laughs> Thank you. As soon as you clear a chapter, you get a nice piece of art. And not only is the art beautiful, but it's such a relieving feeling yeah. to hit that to get that art because you realize it's kind of done. And uh, this is maybe a, a reference or that no one else will get. But um, when I was a kid playing Tekken on the PlayStation or Twisted Metal on the PlayStation, whenever you would complete a whole run, like complete the whole story with any one character, you were given this FMV or CGI movie, like end scene. Mm -hmm. And you learned a little bit more about the characters. And it was always very short because I assume it was pretty expensive to make some of those. And it felt that same way. It felt like, oh, I had just climbed this mountain for this little nugget. It was like a little reward at the end. And that's how I felt whenever I saw that art. That's so awesome. I love that. And I think that's one of the big successes of Celeste is that it literally encourages you to like put the game down. It's like, okay, I've cleared this chapter and now you've given me permission to rest and I'm going to do that. And it's very important to do that because, you know, like what, what Flora was talking about earlier is like if you just try and play too much of it at once it can get it can get really overwhelming Mm -hmm. and so i i do love that they you know they're very careful about being like this is here's this chapter Mm -hmm. and you can once you've closed that chapter you know you can you know really you you're taken out of the game and you have to choose to move over and select the other chapter they're really like okay it's good it's okay to take breaks you know put this down and, and come back to it i think that's what makes it really successful instead of it if it had been just like the whole thing would have been exhausting I think that is so true. This is the epitome of one of those games where you will be hitting your head off of a certain screen. Mm-hmm. You will take a break. You might take a nap. And when you come back, complete it in the first attempt. Mm-hmm. Like it is, um, and I'm reading a book on sleep right now. And it's crazy because it turns out one of the ways that you learn is by sleeping and getting deep REM sleep. Yeah. But it, it this, this game was like the perfect a factual like example while I was reading this book to learn that because there were multiple scenarios where I was, you know, barreling through the game and hit a wall. And I was like, okay, you know what? Like I'm going to take a break. I'm going to play some rocket league. I'm going to go do something else. And when I picked it back up, it was like the problem had been solved in my head already. I, my hands had learned all the things my mind knew it needed to do. Mm-hmm. And I just needed to, 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 tackle it i love how you took a video game break and played a video game for that break (laughs) that's great that is the epitome of my life is like let me take a break from streaming this video game so i can play my casual video game then i'm gonna need to practice this video game that i need to do professionally and yeah (laughs) got your different types of video games that's so true i'm talking like as if i haven't done it like i'm playing celeste and i'm like oh i gotta throw a grenade or two and then come back to celeste yeah (laughs) one of the things i wanted to circle back to just briefly is um this notion of like switching between chapters it reminded me we should probably describe like there's multiple art styles in this game aside from just the end of the chapter sort of like 2d more illustration sort of side there's also like a 3d component of this game as well which i think is really interesting like when you boot up the game you see the mountain in its entirety and you kind of see the little villages and the the buildings and the various parts of the mountain represented in a 3d modeled form before zooming in and actually playing the pixel art version which then concludes with that more like again more illustrated almost painterly style um, and I wonder if that actually has to do with like sort of extending the metaphor of what's going on in the game. Like when you see the the intensity of the mountain in the 3D representation, I wonder if that communicates a sort of a height and a depth to it, like an intimidation factor. And then 
the sort of chunksy, sorry, chunky pixel art is incredibly like animated. Like for a lot of pixel art games, a lot of the backgrounds, a lot of the objects in the environment are quite static. But like in this game, whether it's the feathers kind of rotating in a circle or like like there's like angry platforms that like bellow at you when you hit them a certain direction and they chase you and grumble like there's there's all sorts of expressiveness in just in the static nature of that pixel art and and then of course that resting period everything becomes kind of soft and relaxed and all of that so i don't know i just really like how all three kind of coalesce you wouldn't think in a vacuum all three would work but i think they kind of complement each other yeah absolutely and there's also the the interplay between like the sound effects and the music and like if i don't know if any of y'all ever found a, any of the cassette rooms yes. where it switches to the 8-bit music you know and it has the and it's the the synced music that you have to go through and just the it, it just all goes back to like you know the, the it was all a stylistic choice and details to do all of that and it just elevates it to such a next level like if you go in and like turn down the music and have madeline walk on different surfaces her footsteps sound different based on which thing you're stepping on. It's like next level. <laughs> Sounds different you know? underwater than yes. above water. The oh. underwater filtering, you know, it's so it's so amazing. You know, every single little thing was thought about. And that's why it comes together to become such a masterpiece because it's like, you know, we're putting we're we're not gonna just be like, oh, that's that's fine. It's like, no. Every single tile is going to have its own sound. That's amazing. I'm so with you. I watched a video on the 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 brilliance of the music in this game mm-hmm. and how it all basically just spins one theme, like mm-hmm. one musical theme for every other yeah. track uh, inside little, of doo, it. Doo, 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 doo. Every, <laughs> it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, it, it, is, it is absolutely crazy how much... Um, I mean, the the music in this game is perfect, but like also the sound design, like yeah. the attention to detail at every at every turn was great. Um, yeah, I I, I've, I loved all of those elements coming together. Yeah, it's even the the positive feedback. Even when you die, they're like, it's like almost like a passive yeah. like positive thing. You're like, oh, that, yeah. okay, and then you're back starting again. You're like, it's not so bad. When you land on things, it's just the thuds, satisfying thuds, clicks, like fidget spinner <laughs> stuff. If you apply it into yeah. a game and you could transfer it like to the, the, the person playing it, giving them that fidget spinner response, the, it's, it's a win-win. You know, wh- one of the things that that reminds me of is how good of a job this game does at desensitizing you to failure. Yeah. Like you get to a point where you're no longer frustrated for having not completed it. You're just like, oh, I just got to try it again. Mm-hmm. Like just yeah. just going to do it one more time. Like it, I, I, there were multiple moments where, you know, I, sh- I would have otherwise been frustrated. Mm-hmm. But because they desensitize you by making you die hundreds or thousands of times, you're just like, ah, oh, it's just one more thing. It's it's the the important part is not that I failed. It's that I tried and got a little bit further mm-hmm. or that I tried and made it one more screen, um, which to me, like, I don't know, speaks to a lot of my life philosophy, which is just about being one percent better every day. Not not trying to shoot for the moon, but just trying to be a little bit better. And being okay with with not getting there at times, um, so yeah, it just really spoke to me and, and made me feel um, like they do a really good job at making this approachable just mm-hmm. through the design of the game, not through again like 
making an easy it doesn't prompt you if you die 30 times to say do you do you want to play this on a on an easier mode do you want us to put like the the easy you know fly through this mode um it says no like just keep trying that's the only thing that matters yeah and there's so many games out there where especially like more 3d games sometimes i will try and execute a movement and i feel like to some degree there's a like there's unpredictability to what i'm putting in for inputs but with celeste I, I guess I was always willing to forgive the game because it was always my fault when I died. It was always something that I did that was a mistake. And like I mentioned, playing with an analog stick, that was just entirely just brute force clumsiness. Like, no wonder mm-hmm. I was getting frustrated. Um, but as, as soon as I started looking, like, is this the game or is this me? Not only is it incredibly well designed and encouraging, but like every single like technique just allows you to keep getting better at it. Just like a Souls game. Totally. But the, the difference, though, Mike, it's there's a simplicity in the Celeste mechanic where it's like jump, dash, and maybe a double jump and like grabbing kind of thing. Where mm-hmm. when you walk away to the wall, yeah, when you, when you walk away for like a couple of days, you can come back and pick up the mechanics really quickly. Whereas like some like mm-hmm. you can't pause a Hades run, come back to it a day later and continue <laughs> yeah. it. You're like, oh, what did I have in my like? It's, it's there's so many things you have to keep yeah. in mind. Whereas this one, just pick up, play, mm-hmm. pick up, play, no matter where you are. Absolutely. And there's so much like baked into the actual mechanics of the game. There's an amazing thread that Maddie has on their Twitter that talks about like how all of the forgiving mechanics that they put into the game to make Mm -hmm. it's basically like the game wants to give it to you. It's like everything is balanced towards the player. It's a very hard game. But like, there's this thing that we we like to call coyote time, you can literally be off a platform and jump. And the game's like, okay, yeah, close enough. I'll let you jump. I don't care. There's a thing called corner correction. If you dash up into a wall, a lot of times the the wall will be like, okay, yeah, you didn't bonk. That's fine. And you'll you'll just keep going. Like they built those things into mm-hmm. the game because they want you to succeed, and you can feel that the game you the game is responsive in a way that it's giving it to you. Versus like when you play Mario, if you look at a spike the wrong way, it kills you, and it's so frustrating. Yeah. Well, okay. I I do have to say, I think one of the things that was frustrating in this for me was how the colors of the spikes, the the colors of like the crystal spikes that were in the areas that you must not go, that you must not touch, um, started to just like blend into the background. Mm -hmm. And there were moments that I ended up touching them without like actually realizing that I was touching them. And I don't know if that's just because I was staring at that screen for so long that it just became... (laughs) you know, background noise to me, or if it actually just started to blend in. But that's that's one of the things that made me a little bit frustrated at times. Yeah, just to give a little context about like that interaction, like cause it's just from the dev side, um, I haven't developed a game at all, but I'm familiar with some of the engines that are used. Uh, a lot of the times, especially with like small scale games, they'll put the boundaries as like a general box to save like, uh, what's it called? Uh, development i guess time for for the actual asset so if like this microphone that you guys can see uh, on in the in the call uh it's a circle however the actual interactable might be a box so when you're jumping Mm -hmm. over it you even if you barely touch it you still might interact whatever that might be and that Mm -hmm. little bit of like gap of it being not precise is actually intentional too because you almost don't want the player to be like hard line like the second you touch it it's over because then it might be a harder game that finding that balance of how much of a box you should have on an asset kind of plays with how easy of a game is it how smooth it is are you able to just clear things or do the jump where you're not on the ground like court mentioned that's that's how that stuff kind of can get put in it's because it's not a precise development thing there's a lot of like margin for error Mm -hmm. uh, for people when they're moving around 
Yeah, and there's one technique that I see in speedruns here and there where people like literally vault off of the spikes somehow. And I <laughs> yes. don't really have my head wrapped around that. I've tried to practice various. There's so many like really helpful speedrunning tutorials about all the techniques, um, wave dashing and demo dashing and all sorts of things. But the spike thing, I just, I have no idea. Court, how does that work? So, um, we, you know, a lot of these are called like a spike jump or a corner jump. Essentially, if you're going in the same direction as spikes, like the spikes that are in old site, you will go through them. And that's used in the B side. You literally like, it's just so you can't enter a dream block one way, but you can go out of Hmm. it. And so there are certain situations like in resort, there's a very famous, there's a famous screen where you can actually just, you're jumping off the corner. And since you're going the same direction as the spikes, they don't kill you. You can just jump off the wall, essentially. That's what's happening. So then you just dash up and you can, you know, skip a part of a screen. So that, that technique is used a handful of times. There's also one in like the second to last room of city where you're just, the spikes are just low enough that you're just jumping off the corner instead of hitting the spike. So those are, it's another example of forgiveness yeah. that we exploit and we love it. We're like, thank you. I'm going to go this way now. That's going to be a follow-up question with me about speedrunning in general court. Uh, do you, do you use a lot of those? Like, uh, sh- not, I don't know if they're called shortcuts or they're like ways to like get to the end credits. Is that is there a lot of those in Celeste? So there's not really any like quote unquote glitches in Celeste, okay. and it's all movement based, which is what makes it such a popular speed game. Mm-hmm. Is because genuinely, like anyone can learn to speedrun this game if you put the time. Gotcha. Into there's it. no hack. It's not like okay, let me sit down and skip, you know, this huge section by some obscure yeah. it, mechanic. It, it's really just learn how to play the game faster and nice. die less. Cool. And that's what makes it such an engaging speed run. And also the developers of the game love speed running, um, are super into it. Like they've donated during my runs at GDQ. Uh, it's so cool. Like, you know, it's like, hey, donation from Maddie Thorson. Yeah. I'm like, hey, Maddie, what's up? <laughs> like they are very intimately involved in the speed running scene. Like when Farewell came out, mm-hmm. they like Maddie and Noel, they talked to us. They talked to the speedrunners because they want it to be fun for us. Because we, you know, we love the game so much, and also in a way, like we're kind of QA testers because we're just doing all the silly stuff that you know you wouldn't find otherwise. And it, it is such a beneficial relationship. It's it's a beautiful totally. back and forth. And the game was just it wasn't built like for speed running, but it was definitely built with it in mind, and that's why it's so. The movement is just so fun. I saw that in the credits, I believe, where there yeah. was, I, I don't know if it was a speedrunning community, but I saw something about speedrunning in the credits and I was like, oh, like this game was designed with speedrunning yeah. in mind. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's really cool. Like, you know, when, when Farewell came out, the sound designer, Kevin, um, he was like doing Farewell speedruns and we were all like, okay, cool. Like he, during development, he'd been testing it. And so we got to see his techniques and, you know, they're like, oh yeah, we put that skip in so you can go this way. And we're all like, thank you. <laughs> and you know, it's so, it, it's really cool. I can't imagine playing this game in 30 minutes. No. <laughs> I honestly can't. How? <laughs> yeah. I felt like, I felt like the moment where, uh, so in the story of the game, you climb the mountain and then have a bit of a breakdown and fall all the way back down to the very beginning. And your ascent back up is, you know, this this kind of dance with ma- uh, battle line where you're, you know, you do a couple of tough jumps, you 
hop into her little ball and then she throws you up. And I don't even think I could do that where you are like cheating your way back up the mountain <laughs> in 30 minutes. Um, and yeah, just absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, I've actually, I probably should mention this. Um, I've made a habit for the last uh, three years now. Uh, every Christmas Eve, I play Celeste from start to finish. Um, and I, I call it like Celeste Miss Eve. It's just a thing. And um, yeah, it's just a fun, it's just a comfort thing. I did it one year because I had some friends who needed somewhere to kind of hang out. And then it was such a great turnout that I decided why not next year. And now I just kind of do it. Um, but like this most recent year when I played on Christmas Eve, I thought to myself, okay, I'm definitely going to shave down my time from before. And um, Court mentioned earlier, just like the addictive, the addictive cycle of going back and just trimming down those times. Um, I noticed that the first three or four sections I was doing really well. Like I got all the way through the um, Celestial Resort without too much fuss. And then the Golden Ridge hit me with the wind and I just absolutely ate it. And then you mentioned, Mike, like like being in disbelief about like 30 minutes for an overall time. I want to say the final section of the summit took me close to an hour. And that's after multiple playthroughs under my belt already. It's kind of remarkable how much more there is to shave off. It really is, but it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's, like, my very first time, like, sitting down and playing the game in one go was, like, two hours, mm-hmm. you know? It, 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 it just takes a long time to get, <laughs> wow, you know, so even so long, further two further hours. Yeah. <laughs> a whole five hours faster than me. <laughs> <laughs> Not my first, first time. My first time trying to beat it in one oh, sitting. Okay. So I went from 15 to two hours. Okay. Which okay. is, I mean, a pretty big jump. Yeah, that's huge. I'd also done it, like right after I had beaten the game again. So that helps, you know, I had like freshly beaten summit and I was like, all right, let me just sit down and try it all again. And, but then it's like, you know, obviously the faster and faster you want to go, the more and more you have to practice. Mm-hmm. Like the, the world record holder of this game has done like 3000 hours, like twice the amount of hours that I have to get three minutes faster than me. Yeah. It's That's like, unreal. wow. It's, you know, it's, it's such an amazing, it's, it's, it's like a sport, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you, yeah. You really, it's the people putting in the thousands and thousands of hours who reach that top 0.1%, 1%. Um, but for, for context, we're almost at 3,000 people who have submitted runs wow. to our leaderboard, which is like really cool. Unreal. I and know the game encourages it. You can turn on the timer and it keeps track of it for yeah. you. It's, it's really accessible. I know what question I'm not asking them in the gauntlet next time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. That is so much. That is so much, so much time. Holy cow. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever spent anything close to that in any game. And Unreal. And I don't know how familiar Mike and Mo you would be with this. I imagine Cord has probably been exposed to the Taskbot runs of this game, um, where people have basically, I, th- I think the way Taskbot works is like it's a tool assisted speed run, and you kind of compile the best or the most um, efficient routes and movement to string together an entire run of the game from start to finish. And a couple years ago at GDQ, there was an all berries run of this game. Yep. And um, the thing, if you haven't seen it, that I found incredibly remarkable, not only did they get all, I think it's 275, is that the number? Oh, close, 175. 175. Um, so a ton of berries. Um, the the Taskbot was running the game so quickly that they had to manually slow down and stop to watch all of the berries, this long-winded trail of them, slowly be collected before finally reaching the peak. Like, it was moving wow. so fast that the berries could not be obtained despite having yeah. been interacted with. It's amazing. And I guess if when it's TaskBot, you don't have to worry about landing on the platform safely for it to collect. You can just 
Yeah, Keep going. Tasses, tasses are really cool because it's basically like a group of people come together and you workshop the best way to go through and you compile all of the, yeah, you compile all those inputs in together and then the basically a program, you know, runs it for you. Uh, one of my best friends, Uni, was the lead tasser on that project so yeah i know i i know her very well and um they did an amazing job of that absolutely worth watching it's it's absolutely fantastic tasses are tasses are really cool and they help us they help us you know rta speedrunners um learn techniques as well but then there's also stuff that we could we could never do (laughs) well we've hinted at it and with the taskbot as just a reference point uh we should probably talk about the final ascent up the summit um which sort of strings together all the different parts of the game, and it becomes a sort of narrative culmination as well, where um, both iterations, Madeline and Badeline, her counterpart, sort of have to overcome their differences, for lack of a better word, and um, and just work together to ascend what is ultimately a compilation of all of the different techniques and interactables and skills and platforming techniques, all these different things you've had to master over the last, well, for us, 8-10 hours. Um so, Mike, um, you have most recently worked your way up to the summit. What was that experience like um, starting off at the very bottom, working your way up the checkpoints, and then eventually there's about 30 individual flags of progress that kind of like celebrate and encourage your way up? What, how did that feel when you recently worked your way to the top? I felt like the ascent to the summit wasn't nearly as difficult or rewarding, quite frankly, oh, wow. as as some of the like challenges inside the resort or in other places um, where I felt like I needed to really develop a sense of mastery. I think by the time I got to the summit, I was like, I know how to do this stuff. Hmm. Like this is, this is more just like executing it. Hmm. Like I don't feel like I'm learning new stuff here that it's really pushing me outside of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to get to the top. It's nice to get to the top with battle line and to have that conversation and enjoy it together. Yeah. Um, Court, could you tell us about the first time you made it up to the top? What what was that like for you? Absolutely. Like I mentioned, you know, how much the, the reflection chapter really like sunk in with me. So I agree that, you know, some of it felt kind of like a victory lap in a way, mm-hmm. which I which I liked. And I loved like getting the second dash, like seeing that level up. I was like, whoa, yeah. wait a second. And I, you know, and also the symbolism of like the colors of Madeline and Madeline are blended together. Yes. So we have the pink hair, which represents the two dashes. I, I really enjoyed it. The And also, I uh, that's my favorite crystal heart to get because you have to collect the gems mm-hmm. in each of the different sections, which I thought was so much fun mm-hmm. and, and such a depth to the collectibles in that zone. Mm-hmm. And the flags was such a cute touch because ne- there was nothing like that in the game before. And so it was like, instead of just having, you know, this each screen be the checkpoint, having the flags that you had to pick mm-hmm. up and got the do-do-do, yeah. it was, it, I really, it was like, I loved that. That was such a fun, that was such a really, really fun section for the game for me. And, and getting to, seeing the flag at the top I, was such a great moment. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I've never done any like severe long distance running or anything, but I imagine it's it. what happens at the end of Celeste is probably what it feels like to be at the end of a marathon where you can see the finish line and, and the crowd is, you know, a lot more dense yeah. at the end and loud <laughs> and cheering. And that is absolutely how, how the ending felt for me as well. Um and I, I think, the, like Mike alludes to, the ending sort of conversation at the top of the mountain is incredibly beautiful, and it brings some just really poignant resolution to this whole arc that uh, Madeline's been undergoing. Um, and then we sort of see, like, a descent back down the mountain through the credits, and um, 
there's like sort of a reuniting with all of these characters that we've mentioned and a suggestion that um, not only is there this potential narrative closure, but there's also quite a bit more game ahead of you if you so choose to pursue it. Um, so, uh, Court, did you initially go right for the Crystal Hearts? Did you go right into the core after the mountain? I don't remember if I jumped right into core or if I had to go back for stuff, mm -hmm. but... I definitely saved the B-sides until after Core. Like, I went back and got all the berries and then all the cassettes, and then I jumped into the B-sides. I remember really struggling with Core. Hmm. Core is, like, very difficult for people. You know, for anyone who hasn't played Core yet, your dash doesn't refresh on the ground. Yeah. So it becomes much more puzzle mm -hmm. than platformer, which I'm better at platforming than puzzles. <laughs> and so that was, like, a mental strain for me, especially the Core B-side is probably the hardest level in the game for me. Mm -hmm. But it was also fun because I felt challenged. I was like, wait, this is a different challenge now. Mm -hmm. So it was, that was a very satisfying moment to, to get through it. Yeah. Mike, now that you know, I'm, I'm sure you probably had an idea, but is that something that you will be going for in the future? Or have you, have you satisfied your Celeste experience? I, I honestly don't think I will. Okay. I really enjoyed my experience. And I don't think I need more Celeste. Mm -hmm. Like I've... I, I've gotten to this point in old age where I just feel like, ah, I have my experience with the game and that is going to be the experience. And I just don't need any more of it. Um, and that's, that's not who I was in my youth. In my youth, it was like, I like this game and I will play it until I break this cartridge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and now, now I'm, now I'm content to just leave it with, with where I was at. I, I got, I don't know. I got a handful of cassette tapes. I got, a handful of, uh, I think I got, sorry, not a handful. I think I got three crystal hearts. Um, I have no, no interest in, in, you know, bashing my head off a wall to, to get the remainder. I, I was really conflicted for a long time. I was content just to replay the game from the beginning to the, um, to the credits. And, uh, recently I did, I participated in a charity marathon where just jokingly I put as an absurd dollar amount, I'll play the Celeste B-sides and go for the core. And naturally, that was met quite soon. Um, and so I had to switch games and start going for that. And I found that it was very doable if I was just patient with myself. And um, and if I, again, like the, I think the initial frustration when I originally played Celeste is that I felt uh, bound to progress. Like I needed to be making progress in order to be having fun. But um, I no longer felt that pressure or, or that desire um, to make it through anything at that point. Like the Crystal Hearts are so uh, well hidden and tucked away and the B-side tapes um, I, I think I kind of have a penchant for the rhythm game nature of it. Um, I'm not great at it by any means, but like, I don't feel like I'm incapable of timing and being precise with that stuff. Um, I dabbled into the core just a hair, but, um, it, I think of it something like Hollow Knight's The Path of Pain. Like it's only kind of for the diehards, like the true masochists <laughs> and, uh, for better or for worse, I do think I will go back in, but, um, there's something really nice about returning to the main story. And um, mm -hmm. I, I think I will continue doing that at the very least. I think we should go ahead and move on to our final thoughts here. And uh, let's start with Mo, since you're in the thick of Celeste. Um, go ahead and tell us how Celeste has left you so far. Yeah, I, I've, I've actually, so far, I don't think I've even gotten anything really spoiled from our conversation. I just, I'm really excited to keep playing it. I kind of wanted to find a new Switch game. My Switch has been collecting a little bit of dust. And Celeste is kind of keeping that thing uh, recharged. So I'm excited for it. I'm excited to keep finishing it. And I don't have that fatigue yet since I haven't actually summited the mountain yet. So I'm gonna, but I am excited for it. Uh, what about everyone else? 
Um, I'll go ahead. Um, I definitely, I, I enjoy the tradition of playing Celeste every year, and I don't play it throughout the year very much, but um, I have sort of dabbled in some of the mods, and there's, like, some things like Catgirl Madeline and, like, the trans pride, like, sort of hair, and, like, just, like, other things that you can just easily toggle around with, these things that I just find fun to return to, and now that I kind of have the pressure of having to finish the core, I definitely expect that I will be <laughs> revisiting not only the main story, but some of the bonus content as well for probably years to come. Mike, how about you? Overall, I'd say I, I really enjoyed this, the I really enjoyed playing this game. I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed all of the different ways that it surprised me, but more than anything, I just enjoyed the the symmetry between what the game was and what the story it's trying to tell is. Um, and I think that's so rare. Mm-hmm. That's such a unique thing. Um, and the the tightness of controls and the just pure joy of playing it. Um, and also the pure frustration of playing it, yeah. both the highs and the lows, mm-hmm. um, came together to make a really memorable package. And, you know, there are often games that are thrown around as uh, what game would you want to play if you could play it for the first time? This is actually one of those games that I wish that I could play with fresh eyes, not having, you know, the develop the skill set to get to the top of the mountain relatively easy. So, yeah, loved it. And Court, obviously, this is a bit of a, more than a hobby for you. Um, I imagine <laughs> that you're not slowing down on the speedruns anytime soon. Uh, what are your plans? Yeah, absolutely. I mostly, I still am speedrunning, like, you know, what we call vanilla, mm-hmm. um, mostly doing a lot of all red berry stuff, which is a, a really fun category. You know, th- something that you can do in speedrunning is like, there's there's all sorts of different ways you can play the game. It's like, you know, I can play all the B-sides and try and just do that as fast as possible. So it's like, even though I've played this game for thousands of, th- like, thousands of hours, there's still more I want to do. And there's a lot of custom content that you were talking about, Flora. I've made a custom map of my own. I love cool. working on map making and speedrunning maps as well. I, I have a speedrun of a really cool map called Into the Jungle coming up nice. uh, in early March, actually, on the Game Stone Quick channel. Awesome. So that's going to be so much fun. I was the first person who ever showed off a Celeste spot at GDQ, and that was such an amazing experience. So, like, I'm definitely not slowing down on custom runs anytime soon. And, you know, twice a week, I, I stream Celeste on my channel on Twitch. So there's, there's always stuff to do. It's really fun. I have, a like, a channel points reward where people redeem categories, and I've been doing some wild stuff like uh, uh, Mirror Mode or Invisible. I can beat you can beat what? the game without even seeing Madeline. No, 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 you yeah. can beat the game. It took me about an hour, 15 minutes to game. do that. <laughs> That's so there's, there's, there's endless stuff for me in Celeste and the, the community is so supportive and the developers are like so amazing and genuinely like feel like a part of our community that I think it's going to be somewhere I stay for still years to come. Yeah, it's amazing. Celeste has definitely got one of the most welcoming communities I've encountered uh, in gaming. I'm, there was a wonderful interview that you contributed for Court uh, in Kotaku. Um, I forget, like just a couple of months ago, but it feels very recent. Um, and I believe the title was something like uh, how the Celeste community became queer as hell or something like that. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about that before we wrap up? Um, because I think that that's one of the things that makes Celeste such an active and, and encouraging place. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I was I was interviewed with uh, alongside some other queer speedrunners for the game, and Maddie was you know interviewed in that as well, talking about how you know that we we've talked about the story and about your identity. You know, it's so important as a part of the story, and it even was so important to the developer of the game. Uh, Maddie, you know, wrote an article in in 2020 that was saying that uh, Madeline is trans, and I'm trans too, and like confirmed it, and it was like. 
you know, when I started making this game, I, I didn't know if Madeline or I was trans, but then at the end of it, I can say yes to both of those things. And it's like, wow, even the people that made the game had a transformation because of it. Yeah. And that's, speaks to how that game is like you know impacted so many people with their own identities and it's and so it's such an important cornerstone to our community and i think that's why it's such an amazing inclusive place is because you know that's madeline's identity and her queerness is front and center Mm -hmm. and again they're not subtle about it maddie came out and was like yeah first sentence of this article yes (laughs) she's she's trans and i and i think that's it's, it's really powerful to have that confirmation Mm -hmm. because for so many people it's like there's someone like me in a game that so many people loved absolutely well speaking of inclusive spaces court where can we find you on the internet sure so yeah you can find me at uh frozen flygon uh if you know pokemon it has an i actually have an e on the end of my name but i you know stream on twitch both celeste and super mario world during the week and you can find me there on twitter as well so I, I absolutely love streaming, and also I'm part of the Frame Fatales, which is an all-women speedrunning group, and we have a charity event coming up February 27th, and we're, we're benefiting Malala Fund, which is something really important to me awesome. also as a teacher in my real-life job. Awesome. Well, fellow educator Thanks. over here, we'll definitely have to throw you some support. Um, February 27th, I believe this episode is going up just before that, so um, if you're listening near mm-hmm. when the show releases, definitely check out the event. I'm sure it'll be a absolutely. wonderful time. Um, well, in the meantime, if you want to interact with us on the internet, you can find us on Twitter at Left Behind Club, on Instagram at Left Behind Game Club, on Discord, if you go to leftbehindgame.club slash Discord, come join. We're having conversations all the time. That's where we're recording this episode right now. And um, if you want to come say hi, talk about Celeste, talk about speedrunning, and just join and see what games we're playing next, um, jump in there and um, we'll all say hi. So um, in the meantime... Mo, thank you for joining us. Where can we find you on the internet? You can find me almost on all social media platforms at Emberti, but also hanging out in that Discord channel, talking to our massive crew that we've uh, we've uh, I guess collected all together. Uh, always putting up some video game deals. Love hanging out there. Uh, Mike, where can the fine folks find you? The fine folks can find me at RuffaloM on most social places online, also in the Discord server and at MichaelRuffalo.com. Flora, where can the fine folks find you at online? Definitely reach out to me in the Discord. Um, you can also catch me on Twitter at LudoNarrativeFM and uh, EpilogueGaming.com where I write and publish articles every few days, every few weeks. Uh, right now we're coming out with a new article on Sable, a little indie game that came out last fall, as well as there should be a list, like a hierarchical ranking of some bosses of various video games, so keep an eye out for that. Um, and if you enjoyed the show today, uh, do us two favors, send it to a friend and give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice so until next time michael what do we say to the people and that my friends is one less game left behind I'm Jacob McCord. I'm Katie Lesbrance. And I'm Travis Colnett. We are hosting a brand new podcast called Cutscenes. There are tons of video game podcasts and tons of TV film podcasts, but we're going to bring you the intersection of both and talk about video game, movies, and TV. I know what you're thinking. Aren't most of them not very good? Wrong. Some of them are fine. 
And we're going to tell you all about them. Make sure to subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. Follow us on Twitter at cutscenes underscore pod. And most importantly, give us a listen. See you soon. Cutscenes, a video game movie podcast.